Hello, all, and welcome back to those good old-fashioned values. Like every week, this episode is brought to you by a number of amazing sponsors who help us keep the lights on and keep telling you the bone-chilling true stories that you know and love. Our first sponsor this week is SodomandGomorrah.com. Sodom and Gomorrah is the internet's number one vendor of adult toys and marital aids. From lubes, both plain and flavored, to vibrators, single and double-sided, from cock cages to pussy prisons, and ball gags to ball mousetraps, Sodom and Gomorrah is a great place to find all of the tools you need to spice up your time in the bedroom. Our next sponsor is Spotlight Home Security. Spotlight is a nifty attachment to your house's doors, windows, porches, drains, sinks, toilets, showers, Tom and Jerry style mouse sized holes in the wall and closets. Once the installation process is complete, Spotlight's cameras are connected to your phone, allowing you to keep an eye on your house 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In addition, you may discuss safety methods with other Spotlight users on the Spotlight User Forum, located on both desktop and the Spotlight Home Security app. Note, Spotlight is not supported by iPhone or iOS. This week's final sponsor is the Atlanta Police Department. Serving the community of Atlanta since 1873, the fine men, women, and non-binary members of the APD provide safety to Atlanta residents using fair and non-biased methods of effective law enforcement. In addition, one lucky listener to this week's episode will win a free, all-expenses-paid trip to the Atlanta Police Department's new $90 million training facility once construction is complete. Just log on to our website, www.tgofv.com, and enter promo code TIMBER to enter. Now, without further ado, we continue on to the story of George Gaffrey, the Minneapolis Maniac. The year is 1996. The Macarena is taking the world by storm. The North Cape has ushered in the age of the oil spill. And Americans are in the middle of a long national throuple with Presidents Bill and Hillary Clinton in the small town of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Trouble is brewing on the thruway. Walking home from school is Henry Old Crappy Shoes, Carter Isaacs. Just two weeks away from graduating sixth grade, Old Crappy Shoes is returning from his after-school meeting of the Model UN Club, of which he is an integral member. While Old Crappy Shoes was often forced to walk home on his neighborhood's lawns due to the pressure placed on his incredibly old, shitty shoes by the hard concrete sidewalk, today, he's taking a risk. Old Crappy Shoes is three blocks away from his house when... Traveling at speeds in excess of 80 miles per hour, a dark blue 1987 Honda Accord speeds down his street and barrels towards him. The car collides with Old Crappy Shoes, launching him nearly 15 feet down the street before taking a sharp corner 
and escaping from view. Well, Crappy Shoes is, mercifully, still alive, although he suffers three broken ribs, a shattered tibia, and loses two teeth upon collision with a mailbox. His shoes are pulverized on impact. A neighbor, Rick Goblin, sees the entire event unfold and, within minutes, has called 911. Paramedics arrive on the scene within the hour and apply a truly silly number of bandages to his wounds. He is taken to a local Catholic hospital, our mother of unforgivable surgery, and treated for concussion and internal bleeding. Henry, who, for purposes of clarity, will no longer be referred to as old crappy shoes, after the destruction of his absolutely ancient, disgusting shoes, is expected to survive with minimal long-term damage. However, after a week spent recovering under doctor supervision, he is stricken with an unrelated case of early-onset osteoporosis. He dies five days later, just 48 hours before his graduation from the sixth grade. Our team attempted to contact the Carter Isaacs family about the story, but were rebuffed by a still-grieving Maud Carter Isaacs, who raised ludicrous concerns about her son's death being quote-unquote exploited for cheap entertainment value. However, the TGOFE team were able to speak with an eyewitness to the accident. Henry's neighbor, Rick Goblin, who was on scene for the event and placed a call to 911 within 15 to 20 minutes of witnessing the accident. We go now to that interview. I am here with eyewitness to the scene and neighbor of Henry Carter Isaacs, uh, Rick Goblin. Rick, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So you were the witness to the first known crime of Minneapolis maniac. Is that correct? I mean, I've seen a hundred car accidents in my life. Oh, I see. A uh, hundred of them. Yeah. Uh, I, think, you I think this was like the 54th or the 55th. Oh, I see. I don't know. Car accidents are a lot like your age. Like you stop counting somewhere in the 20s, but I've seen exactly 100 hmm. of them. And oh, uh, this, this this one was, I wouldn't say this one was like the worst I've ever seen, frankly. Like, it's just some kid just going flying. Like, you know, I've, I, I've seen a car accident where like they had like alligators in the truck and the alligators all started like crawling out of the truck. The ones that weren't killed in the car crash. And they just ate the faces off all the people. And there were like cars oh. driving by. And this was on the highway. And they would just start like jumping onto the cars and just eating the faces off people. I see. Uh, you know, I handled, I handled that situation. But like, you know, it's, 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 you got to be careful, man. You really got to be careful transporting like uh, alligators and crocodiles. I can imagine. Yeah, they're, uh, they're pretty finicky animals. So this car accident was not among the more dramatic that you've seen, but I, w I would maybe wager a guess that it was one of the more storied that you've seen, considering that it was the first in a long line of vehicular misconduct. Well, I don't, by... I don't pay attention to the news. Oh, know? I see. I think, I think all you, all the news you need is from your, your front porch. You know, you, you get out on your hmm. front porch. And what you see is the news that you need. You know, this is how they did it in ancient times. Right. In ancient times, you would get out, get out onto your front porch and you'd sit on your front porch right. and you, you saw like a guy with a sword or maybe like a naked child or something. And you, you knew what the, what the day was going to be like and what was going on in the whole world. And, <laughs> you know, I, but anyways, uh, I, I learned, you know, I was sitting out on my front porch and one of my, one of my neighbors was like, you know, turns out that was the Minneapolis maniac. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, I never trusted that guy. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's what that's, you know, the whole history behind that thing. But I, I don't know. I think that that kid, frankly, was making a big fuss over nothing. Like I've gotten hit in way well, worse by I, cars. I, I will say that um, within two weeks of the accident, uh, Mr. Carter Isaacs actually did. Yeah, but away. that was that was a whole um, other partially... situation. Like if he, I mean. It was. I mean, but... like, frankly, if like, you know, I was that kid and I'm not saying I was that kid and I get, you know, kids like they have weaker constitutions. They're smaller. So they, yeah. They're much smaller. They're on average much smaller than adults. Yeah, uh, generally. I mean, there there are some adults who are, you know, afflicted with, with conditions like androgen. Yeah, yeah, you tell me. I've, you, you ever seen one of those get in a car accident? Listen, I cannot say I have. I've seen very few car accidents in my life, they, fortunately. They, you think they would draw drive like small small cars, 
but they they drive like normal cars. some of them even drive really big cars which makes it all the wilder when they get in car accidents there's like a little guy driving the car it's like well what's they, up with that they are full-grown adults uh i suppose with alterations for their disability they can drive any car they, they would like so i would like to ask another question about your experience witnessing this event no i mean you know it's just another day out on the porch I, have, I haven't asked the question yet. So the, the question that I would like to ask, what was going through your mind when you saw that accident occur? When you, when you saw young Mr. Carter Isaacs fly 15, 20 feet before the car and, and land, I would say in a pretty, in a pretty heinous way on the, on the ground in front of him. Well, for starters, I think it was only like five feet. You know, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, everyone tells me it was 15, 20, 30 feet. You know, I've watched enough football in my life to know what, what a feat is. And that, that was like five at most anyway. So yeah, he went flying and you know, the the car and the car just kept going on, which like, I don't think that's legal, but like, I, I, I respect like the type of mindset that would make you do that. You know, like you think that you just hit a squirrel, like. Whenever I'm driving, I, I don't drive too much anymore. But like back when I used to drive a lot, you know, I believe me, I drove a lot. Like, I think I was one of the first people to really drive in this in this state. Like, so I think I, I was one of the first people to really do it. So I will say that uh, I, I do think there is a noticeable difference between hitting a squirrel and hitting a sixth grade human child, uh, just in terms of size and, and maybe the construction of the body. I mean, but, if you like, to, if you get one to get scientific about it, but like when you're like in the heat of the road, when you're driving, you know, like when, when you're in the, when you're driving and it's kind of like that one movie uh, where like, you know, all those queer fellows are running around real fast. What's that one called? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm I think not. it's called The Computer. I don't know. No, I don't know. There was a no. lesbian in it. And anyways, but like you're you're in that sort of like matrix like vision and you you just you just drive and like when you hit something, when you hit something, you know, you just got to keep going. It's it's like it's fighter like do you know how like like the ancient warriors like when they got on the battlefield, you know how like they didn't like, you know, go crazy and stuff when they were hitting people with swords and clubs. Can't say I did. No, they, they, they had like, they understood that they just had to keep going. And I'm not saying that, you know, people who drive cars are the same, but I am saying that like, were you to take a warrior from history, he would drive a car. So I, I think sure. that there's something to be, to think about there. I am unconvinced but I, I appreciate uh the the discussions that you were bringing up for our listeners um I, I i don't think we've really dove very deep into your mindset uh when the event actually happened and and i think specifically what i am interested to hear about is why did it take you uh upwards of 15 minutes to contact 911 to uh, assist help or uh, to offer help and medical services to uh, young Mr. Carter Isaacs. Well, I personally don't prefer to call 911. I usually like to call, you know, what I like to think of as like the Samurai's 911, which is which, my cousin Derek, who, oh. who's got a, who's got like a, a little tow truck. And so I, I called up Derek and I told him that some kid had just gone kabloom out on out on the uh out on the road and then he was like it, it fucking rick get your ass call 911 call 911 and i said no rick you, this is this is a derek job this isn't a this isn't a 911 job and it, it you know d- just just get over here and i i called him and you know i also like was telling the kid like get your ass up you know get up you know i I've been here before, you know, I've gotten hit by my fair share of all sorts of vehicles. I got hit by a horse once. And personally, like, I think that's worse than getting hit by a car because like a horse, like if a horse hits you, it's because you're its enemy. Um, and the, the horse wants you dead. If that makes like a car doesn't think a car's got no feelings. The person driving the car's got feelings, but that's unimportant. If a horse hits you, it's because it's out for blood. Yeah, and I, I, I've been hit by a horse before, and I, I think that I was able to get up from that just fine. So I think the kid, like, it could have taught him a life lesson or two. It's just well, what I'm saying. did he respond when you told him to get up? No, he did not. 
I will say that medical records indicate that he was legally brain dead for uh, about an hour after the accident. And that might be part of why he- I know plenty of brain dead people that can stand up and walk around. But legally I'm, I'm brain saying, dead. I, I mean, I, I don't pay the law too much mind, but like I, I figure that, you know, it's legally brain dead, like legally or illegally brain dead, you should be able to walk. And if you can't walk, you should be in some type of home. Well, the type of home that, that Mr. Carter Isaacs was in was uh, a hospital. During ex that. Exactly. But that, that's none of my business. So I, I, I don't like to get like 911 involved in most situations. So I, I, I called Derek, but Derek like didn't want to do anything. So he, uh, he didn't uh, want, we, he didn't want to do anything. No, he didn't want to do shit. Like he didn't want to leave his house or he felt, um, uncomfortable that this was the tack well, you were taking. I, I, can, house, I can walk you through like what the phone call was like. So I, I rang him up, I rang him up and he was like, I was like, Hey Derek. And Derek was like, huh? I was like, it's me, it's me, it's me, Rick. And then he said, huh? And I said, yeah, it's, it's me, Rick. And then he was like, Rick who? And I, I told him it was his cousin, Rick Goblin. And it was like, but- You know that new sound you've been looking for? Listen to this. And what, what is that? What, is, what, is, what are you I, referring to? I apologize. To? I, was, um, I was making a bon mot. A bon mot. I don't, spe I, I don't speak Italian. Oh. But anyhow, um, yeah, we, we, we kind of went back and forth. And then eventually, like, uh, he, he was like, we, were ta we talked a little bit, like, before, before I talked about the kid, we talked a little bit about, like, about silver. Like, mm. I think silver's going to be the new thing. Like sure. they've got like, they've got like computer coins now and everything, but like I think when they drop the EMP bomb on us, it's going to be silver. I think silver is going to be the next thing. Sure, yeah. And then you know after we talked about silver for a couple minutes, uh, mentioned oh by the way this uh, this neighborhood kid just kind of like went flying on the ground. I was wondering if you could get your tow truck and help him out, and uh, he said no, I I, I don't want to use my tow truck on a civilian. And then I said, what, I, you know, I, what does I think he mean by kid, civilian? You know, you know, like someone not affiliated with the military. Oh, I see. I see. Because I, I know that there are a number of professions. Uh, uh, stand up comedy is, is I think, a, a prime example yeah. where um, non-military members also refer to uh, people unaffiliated with their industry as civilians. And I was I was curious uh, if he was using it in that term or if he was. Uh, specifically speaking about like non-military members well, of the United I, I think, States. I think like more specifically, like aside from the military thing, he was like, if there wasn't silver involved, it was mm. a civilian. Oh, I see. So basically like, you know, we went back and forth and eventually said like, I ain't going to do it. And I said, why aren't you going to do it? And he said, I, I ain't going to do it. You know, there, there's, it, I just, I just ain't, there's no silver involved. Right. And I didn't want to give him any of my silver. I mean, it's like kind of our silver together. Like we're, we're pooling it together because when the silver stock goes up, we'll be able to split it. But he has my silver. I, he has his silver and I have my silver. And like, we don't like to mix it up too much. Um, so, so after Derek refused, that is what convinced you to call 911 or? No. Oh, well, what convinced you to call 911, I guess? Uh, I mean, uh, like I, I tried to like help the kid out. Like I, I walked down and the kid, you know, wasn't moving very much. So I, I figured like he just needed a little pick me up. So I like tried to get him to stand up, but then he fell over again. And I, I tried like I tried a couple more times, but he just kept falling and falling, man. He he was like a little rag doll. Yeah, like, that, that's generally what happens uh, with brain death. Yeah, yeah, no, he was just flopping all about. Like I couldn't believe my eyes like. I've, I've never seen something like that before. Like, you know, you kill a chicken and it starts running around for a little bit before it dies, but you kill a kid and that thing just, you know, that thing turns into a damn pillow. What can I say? I, I ain't seen that before. And, you know, I thought to myself, I should probably run a few experiments on this. But, uh, you know, at that point, uh, at that point, I, I remembered that in, in an event such as this, it is actually okay to call 911 and involve the authorities. Uh, so... I went back to my house and I had uh, all of my silver. Oh, most of my silver is the thing. Like, if you have no silver, they get suspicious. Like, the, they'll, they'll, like, they'll think something's wrong. But if you have a little silver out, 
they'll think, okay, this guy's only just got a little bit of silver. So I hid most of it, which took a few more minutes. And uh, once I had that secured, I called 911. All right. Uh, good to know, Mr. Goblin. Quick question before we go. Uh, George Gaffrey is coming to the end of his 30-year sentence for the crimes such as the one that you witnessed and many others. Uh, what is your opinion on the sentence? Is it fair? Is it not? And um, how would you want listeners to take away your reaction to that? I mean, I don't think he should have gone to jail in the first place since, you know, like I said, like when, when you're on, when you're in a car, it's like an old, it's like an, a battle from the olden times, you know, back when there was like people, there were like, you know, I mean, my namesake comes from the olden times. Like they, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, like there, there were some warriors back then called goblins. Like, no. uh, no, there were, you, there were humans no. that used like, like really pointy spears. No. Not even a little bit. No. And um, it's not true. That, uh, it's you know, factually that, inaccurate. I relate to that a lot. And I think that, you know, in a different universe, okay. I mean, the, 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 mini, uh, the Minneapolis maniac, I mean, like, frankly, I don't condone some of the other, like, other things he did. You know, I think that, I, I think that he, he went a little too far in some areas, but, like, I don't think you can judge a man on the road. I don't think you can judge a man because like it's life or death. You get behind the wheel of the car and it's like the, there's like, there are no rules in war. So I don't think there should be any rules for driving. Okay. Uh, thank you to Rick Goblin for your time. Well, will you, will you like mention all the silver stuff since I don't want. Four months after the death of Henry Carter Isaacs, an unusual traffic-related incident is experienced by tens, if not hundreds, of Minnesota residents. NASCAR's Bush Series Grand National Division is in full swing, and racing fans from all around the Midwest are in attendance at the Elko Speedway and Drive-In Theater. These fans, whose numbers reach nearly into the triple digits, are all awaiting 23-year-old racer Buck K. KK who is currently a heavy favorite to win his debut series. A stock-raising phenom, much of the motorsports community has had its eyes on Buck since he was stealing his parents' car to drive to high school keggers. Despite having never driven in an official NASCAR event, the car seat from the first vehicle that Buck ever got roadhead in has recently gone for $4,000 at auction. Driving car number 54, sponsored by Fresh Step Cat Litter, he is on the precipice to become the face of the sport. A Daryl Waltrip for a new generation. The race begins. Fans pull up binoculars to watch Buck's progress on the track. He starts shakily, letting three other drivers pull ahead of him and maintain significant leads for the first 15 laps. However, in a display of his famous aggressive style, Buck soon pushes in front of each competitor and takes the lead. Crowd roars with delight. Racing history is about to be made. Suddenly, an unregistered car explodes onto the track. A navy blue 1987 Honda Accord careens from the stands into the middle of the race, causing a number of cars to swerve and unavoidably spin out. In the middle of the track, car number 23, sponsored by Diva Cup, bursts into flames, providing a hellish obstacle for racers to avoid. There is pandemonium among the dozens of racing fans in attendance, and others trampling children underfoot in their haste to escape. Buck makes a sharp turn, unaware of the flaming mess he is steering into. And before he has time to react, to turn into the skid, his car has flown into the air. Fans watch it as it flips, bumper over spoiler, five times through the air before landing with a sickening crunch on car number 56 co-sponsored by California Pizza Kitchen and Red Baron Frozen Pizzas, demolishing the skeleton of the driver within. The race is immediately called off. NASCAR medics and volunteers from a local Pep Boys flood into the track to treat injuries both human and vehicle. From fewer than three minutes of chaos, 
there are 11 casualties and nearly twice as many car casualties. Police search for the perpetrator, but he and his vehicle have disappeared by the time they arrive. One sharp-eyed witness on the scene is able to recall his license plate number, and although law enforcement is able to connect it to one George Gaffrey, there is next to zero available information on his whereabouts. Buck KKK is pried from his car. He is declared dead on the scene. A promising career, senselessly cut short. In 1998, he is bestowed with a posthumous award for sickest airtime by the NASCAR Board of Directors but he will never win any championships. To discuss the impact that their son left on the sport of racing during his short time as a competitor, we are joined by Buck's two gay dads, Elmer and Floyd KK. I'm here with Elmer and Floyd KK, the fathers of the late Buck KKK. Elmer, Floyd, thank you so much for coming on to our show and discussing this with us. It's my pr- no it's problem. my privilege, you know. I I, I want to honor my son's memory any way I can, and I figured your podcast seemed racist enough to be on. Oh, it's no problem, dearie. Now, this is something that I expect we'll get into later in the interview, but is there a significant vein of racism that you think informed your son's career as a NASCAR driver? Or, or is that just a is that just incidental to his career? Oh, I mean, uh, you know, with a name like uh, you know, Buck K K K, you know, th- those things are just kind of coincidence. Like it has to be like an act from yeah. God, I think. You know, that kid, that kid was always hopping in. Frankly, I uh, I don't have any any idea what what you're you know associating a boot. I think I think obviously you know our son, Buck. He's he's a good kid, but we uh, you know he. I, I, I think there's not really a pattern to his, his actions. I think he was, a, he was a good, well-meaning boy there. I mean, he was extremely racist, just like the two of us, but I don't think true, the driver had anything to do with that. I think he was just a That's, little funny it, in the that head. That is what I was asking. Um, it is good to get confirmation on that. Thank you. First, I think the most uh, salient question to this discussion that we're having is, what was your experience of the day that George Gaffrey drove his navy blue 87 Honda Accord onto the track that your son was racing on. Uh, Do you remember any details of that day? Do you remember how you were feeling? Do you remember ways that the event went down? Were you you present or were you simply following it maybe hands-off? It it was your son's debut series, so I'm assuming there was some form of engagement there, but... Yeah, I was I was happy to be home in in, in in back in the home state of Minnesota. Well, that is where it took place. Uh, uh, took place in Elka. Yeah, well, it was a real it was a real bitch getting uh you know my my darling husband Elmer off the couch since he had just eaten just a Christ load of pancakes and I was like uh, Elmer, get your fat ass off the couch. We got to go see our son racing. And he was like, Oh no, I can't go racing today. That's just my that's just my impression of him. Uh oh. Oh, don't be asking! Oh, oh, come now! Don't don't be asking like you don't like be like like my hot dish, Floyd. My hot dish is a delicious. All right, it is, um, it is a delicacy. I'm going to ask that we move on from sorry, this sorry. kind of sexual situation that's going on here and return to the question at hand. So, uh, you were having a little bit of difficulty coming up from the couch. Does that mean you were late to the event? Did you not get there at all, or is that just incidental to the? I I. With with all due respect, sometimes you know you're you're a little tired. It of was course. a long drive getting back there, but uh, we we you know you know we I I think we did uh, we made it there all right, and we were happy to support our okay. boy in any way we could. So you so you did manage to arrive in time to see the situation. And again, if this is too personal, if this dredged up too many bad memories, just let me know. Uh, but no, I, it's fine. That kid that I mean, frankly, I I'm surprised that kid lived as long as he did. You know, he was always trying to race stuff like he we got him one of those plastic cars and uh we live on top of a of a mountain that's on top of a hill and he would always go riding down the mountain in that plastic car and i think like he broke like his femur 19 times uh doing that but we uh every time he uh, came back we were like well this is gonna be the time he dies but uh no he he survived so like frankly when he died like you know I mean, obviously he was a good kid, but when he died, I was a little relieved because it's like, all right, I don't have to worry about that shit anymore. 
Yeah, no, I, I love my boy, but he uh, he zoomed right into a tree a bunch as a kid. And well, that yeah. well, that is interesting to hear because he was a very talented racer, and um, I suppose it takes a while to start well, building those skills effectively. Uh, I would like to return to practice. Does pra- make practice perfect. makes perfect. That is, uh, I believe, the same. I would like to return to to a point that you brought up about your childhood home, or at least the home that he grew up in. Um, you said it was on a hill on top of a mountain. So how do you distinguish that? Is that just not a taller mountain? Uh, it was a mountain on top of a hill. Oh, I see. So, I see. Yeah, you know, there's like, a, you know, in West Virginia, there's a bunch of big hills, okay. and then you, you keep going up the hill, and then there's a mountain. Okay. And uh, we lived on top of that in like a, a little house that had like a nice chimney and everything. And there's just one winding path down to the main town, and uh, our boy would ride down that path all the goddamn time. And uh, eventually I stopped giving a shit because I thought like first couple times I was like, son, you're going to get killed if you if you ride your plastic car down that path. But right. about like the fifth or sixth time, I'm like, all right, well, I think, you know, God has a mission for him. So uh, he'll, he'll probably be fine. Well, that is very interesting to know about Buck's early years. Um, let's return to your experience of the day itself. You arrive at the Elko Speedway and drive in movie theater. And are you there to see the race begin or do you arrive partway through? Uh, what is what is the arrival look like before the terrible events? Well, I'll tell you, occur? tell you what, Elmer, Elmer's fat ass is always getting some beer and hot dogs before the race starts. From the concession stand itself or from the 7-Eleven nearby? Why choose one? <laughs> That's a great point. I'm, I'm sorry. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay, dear. Okay. I... We, we agreed to talk about this. I thought, I didn't, you know, in the big professional interview, I didn't think you'd be going this hard on this, but okay. Okay, dearie. Nah, you, you know I love you. I'm going to make some, like, bacon fried pancakes later, so quit complaining. I see. That sounds delicious. Anyway, we, 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 we did uh, get there on time, and we got, uh, for an impor- it's an important event. You don't want to skimp on the of concessions, so. though. Anyway. Many continue. analysts... Uh, said that this might be where Buck cemented his front-runner status in the uh, series. It was a very important race. So, okay, you you arrive on time, you get concessions, uh, you sit down before the race starts, I'm assuming? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, no, we, got, we got some two seats. Uh, I got one seat that I can sit down in. Uh, you know, it's important for me to, like, stay seated because uh, – I basically have to be on Oxycontin all the time or else I'm in like the most agonizing pain in the world. Were you and, uh, uh, in construction? We have, we have, Were you, what, what, um, was it, was it a professional related injury or? Uh, no, I, I work at a dollar general. Oh, okay. Uh, I, see. I, I just, I just, I just need that Percocet, you know, uh, and, um, oh, did I say uh, either is fine. It, you know, sometimes I do both if I'm, if I'm feeling a little restless they're, they're that interchangeable. day. interchangeable. We have a bit like a really big chair for Elmer, like you know, like they they got it on the on the racetrack that they had two chairs and they like carved out the middle of one of the like little little cup holder things so he could sit down comfortably and he was sitting down on two chairs and he, he used a third chair to put all his concessions on. So we we had we had pretty much occupied a whole whole row of seats to watch wow, the boy. You, you don't have to be uh, you know. The, the 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 fine journalist. She's not looking for that many details. No, I would I would appreciate you to paint as uh, colorful a picture of the scene as possible. So I, I appreciate that. Well, okay, okay. Look, I I do I do want to ask if it you know would you would you would you say it is uh it's a difficulty if uh, your husband shows up to support both of your your sons high out of his mind? Would you say that? Uh, that causes some problems, or do you not get what I'm talking no, I, about? I, uh, I, I have dealt with addiction in my own family, and I agree that uh, it can be difficult to manage sometimes. Uh, so I, I empathize with some of the issues. Uh, did this happen before or after Buck uh, started his career in NASCAR, this um, use of opioids? Uh, somewhere in the middle there. Oh, no, uh, that's what that's when he found out. Uh, oh, I've been I've been using those things since I was like... 15 years old oh. yeah one time one time i was like uh jacking off and uh i kind of like tore tore my thing down there a little Ooh. bit and it, it hurt like hell and so i just went to my dad's medicine cabinet and took the first thing i could find and next to the advil was percocet and the rest was history i see uh well i i hope that 
either you are able to overcome this or you are able to survive it, whichever is more salient to your situation right now. So you have taken up a number of seats. You are slightly impaired off of opioids and you see your son begin to fall behind a number of racers in a make or break race. How did that make you feel? I mean, you know, it's heartbreaking, Gary. Mm -hmm. You see your son try his heart out, get, get his dream, and then just fail in front of thousands of people. You know what that can't be. That can't be great. That's, that's, it's heartbreaking, you know, as a father. I, uh, you know, it, it was concerning. It was concerning. I see. Yeah. He's always been the softy type. Like, it was like, oh, poor boy isn't in second, first place. I mean, I mean, frankly, I was like, you know, up until that thing happened, I was just glad that he wasn't like plowed into the fucking audience or something. Right. You know, I haven't seen him shatter his pelvis so many times going uh, driving. And then when he actually got his actual car, that was a whole shit show. Like he got himself like the, the absolute worst looking truck in all of West Virginia, which is pretty impressive, all things considered. And he found a way to make it go 105 miles an hour. Then uh, he, he crashed it into something. He was perfectly fine, but uh, yeah, that that elementary school was never the same ever again. Yeah, that um, <laughs> that sounds like a pretty pretty interesting time in his formative years. Um, but let's get to the nut of the event, which is that you saw your son fall behind, and then you saw him uh, begin to retake the lead in this pivotal race of the series, and then. The 87 Honda Accord comes barreling down from the stands, lands in the middle of the track, and begins to cause pandemonium in the stands. Cars are spinning out of control. Uh, They're running into the dividing or into the safety wall. They are catching on fire. Wheels are flying. And your son... I'm sorry. Am I? Can I continue? Uh, no, yeah, yeah. No, you know, I, it's fine. I, it's I, fine, I'm zonked out right now. Okay. Your son uh, collides with an errant bit of wreckage. His car is launched into the air, flips bumper over bumper five times, and he lands on the co-sponsored California Pizza Kitchen and Red Baron Frozen Pizza Car. Both drivers are instantly killed. Um, experiencing that in the moment, what was, if, if you were able to describe it, what was the feelings that you were experiencing when you saw this horrible accident occur involving I, your son? I mean, it, it was just, just heartbreaking, yeah. dearie. Yeah. Just, just the most, I don't, I don't know what, you know, a father, he no, should not, not never have to see a child die before him. It's, it's really quite uh, tragic there. Yeah. I was mostly just feeling constipated on account of the opioids, but you know, once I figured out what had happened and realized that we didn't see the coolest goddamn thing in the world, I was like, damn, I guess God finally called him home. You know, after after all those car crashes and, you know, broken femurs and pelvises and tibias, I was like, well, finally, finally caught up with him, but he made it this long. So God bless him. And he got to go out in one of the coolest goddamn car races I've ever seen in my life. So, you know, we've got we've got more kids where that came from. So, uh, uh, you know. I was able to, you know, put down a payment on a new truck Floyd, after you, that. Floyd, you don't have to be so blunt about it, Geary. You could, you know, and I know you and him didn't have the best, but you know, you you were relatively close. I think you'd be a little more hurt by it. I mean, I was I was pretty hurt, you know. Uh, I'm always I'm always kind of hurt, you know, back pain and everything. But uh, time time no, it's, just, it's what it yeah. is. It's what it is, you know. I, I think I don't think. You know, I don't think he would have wanted us, Buck would have wanted us to be all sitting here weeping and crying like a couple of gay men. I think he would have wanted us to just move on with our lives. And, you know, obviously he, uh, Elmer's been dragging me to some, you know, goddamn marriage counselor or whatever about this stuff. And uh, we're, we're kind of at a stalemate right now, but uh, we've got too much uh, money tied up in real estate and fucked up kids named like uh, Jacobia. Uh, that uh, we 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 gotta just keep the marriage together any way we can. I, well, I didn't I didn't even realize that there were other members of the KK clan. Uh, that is interesting to hear, and I think informs a lot about Buck's upbringing. Are, are they foster children? Are they or were they all adopted around the same time? 
Uh, Buck was the the first one. He was he's the oldest of the, uh, the the kids. But you know we we did you know a few years after him. You know as 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 hard as it is to say, we we figured it might be good to have a a backup or two. You know, yeah. There's true. You know, this is a fun fact. Uh, there our son Daniel that's spelled with an A an E and a Y. Okay. Uh, no L though. No L. Uh, uh, the Y just gets the elements. No, no, uh, I'll, I'll explain it to you later. Oh, okay, uh, but okay. he, he is me and Elmer. He is both our biological son. Oh, I did not realize that technology was in place. What technology? What? What technology? <laughs> to, to allow two gay men to have a uh, child who shares both their biological information. You don't need technology for that. Oh, so you know, I thought you were supposed to be some kind of journalist, but uh, you know, I think you might be running some kind of ramshackle operation here. No offense. It's very possible. Just one question before I let you two go. George Gaffrey, uh, of course, the Minneapolis maniac, is within five to six years coming to the end of his 30-year prison sentence. Um, what are your thoughts about the uh, consequences and, and about the uh, sentence that got placed onto Gaffrey. Do you think it's enough? Do you think it should have gone further? And what do you think about him being released back into society? Well, you know, there, as someone from uh, the great state of Minnesota, uh, this is this is a very personal issue for me, you know, how it is. I tend to believe the law did the right thing, but it is disheartening to see a man like him not only walking, but but driving along the streets, yeah. it's it's disconcerting. But there, you know, it's nothing you can do about it. But maybe maybe like say OJ, he'll just slip up again, and yeah. and they'll get him quick, right quick. It's very possible. Uh, and you, Floyd? Uh, you know, when I when I first learned that, I was like, all right, well, you know, let's hop in the car and just kill him. As soon as he pops out of jail, just hop in the car and kill him. But Elmer, you know, he, he doesn't have the uh, West Virginia blood. He's a, he's a nice fella from uh, above the Mason-Dixon, which I, I am I am by technicality, but what, not um, in spirit. I'm so sorry. What state is he from? Uh, Elmer? Yeah. Oh, he's a... Your husband, your, husband, your husband of over 30 years. Yeah, he's from Minnesota. Okay. I'm from West Virginia, though. Okay, I just, wanted to make, I just wanted to make sure that I'm... Yeah, yeah, I moved, I moved back in with the husband. It was, uh, you know, the best decision so I ever made. you two are located yeah. in West Virginia now? Yes. Yes. Okay. Do you have any other comments that you would like to give to our audience before we conclude this interview? Uh, you know, I, I think I need to make it clear that, like, just because we are a couple of gay men from West Virginia, that doesn't mean we're not extremely racist. Oh, of course. And our son yeah, wasn't extremely racist. And all of our sons are extremely racist, too especially the one that was our biological son. I see. It passes down the blood, I suppose. It's, it's not really relevant to our case, but, you know, be sure to involve uh, security cameras you can. You can't trust uh, certain kinds of strangers. That's uh, good advice that I try to give oh. people. Yeah. In fact, I think they probably got the wrong guy. That fellow, there was no way a white fellow did that. Uh, well, he... I don't know about so that. So I, I will say, they, uh, the law, law enforcement did some DNA testing, uh, performed DNA testing after his arrest, and he is 12% Puerto Rican. Ah, well, there you have it. Makes sense. Yeah, you can never trust a Puerto Rican named Buck. No, of course. You can never trust Well, that's, that. that's your son. That's not the Puerto Rican guy. Oh, right. Yeah, yes, that's... Well, uh, he's, uh, he's been a little slow since... He's been a little slow since his uh, eighth stroke, uh, but he won't change his diet or anything. Oh, it's just like you'll change the painkillers. All right. Uh, Floyd, Elmer, but I, I want those. to... I want to thank you for giving us your time and providing us with a unique perspective on this horrible day. And thank you for coming on. No problem. Oh, no problem, dearie. Over the next three years, Dozens of vehicular crimes over the greater Minneapolis-St. Paul area plague Minnesotans to no end, despite constant police attempts to catch the perpetrator. In March of 1997, a denim blue Honda Accord collides full stop 
with a car full of Ringling Brothers employees on their way to a performance. There are 27 casualties, and the field of professional clowning is decimated for years to come. In Plymouth, Minnesota, there are reports at John Madden High of a blue vehicle driving through hallways and doing donuts in the gymnasium. However, given that the school was in the midst of an attack by a student armed with an assault weapon, little notice was paid. And once that student was made the car's one and only victim, saving a number of student lives, law enforcement decided to let it slide this one time. In October of 1998, St. Paul resident Patrick Donegan loses his life when a powder blue Acura TL falls from the top of a seven-story building, crushing him and injuring four bystanders. Evidence suggests it was somehow transported to the top of the building, then driven off and dropped onto Donegan with pinpoint accuracy. Despite extensive investigations, police are unable to ascertain if it is the same perpetrator or a copycat. In Bloomington, Minnesota, a summer barbecue is ruined for the Ramirez family by a cobalt accord, which drives past the campsite they have rented, blaring music from its subwoofers. This music is so loud that it ruptures the eardrums of family patriarch Pedro Ramirez Sr., his wife, Sofia Ramirez Greenblatt, as well as sons Pablo and Lucas, and Troy Hayes, a friend from school. All five are forced to undergo major eardrum reconstructive surgery. Between the years of 1996 and 1999, residents of the greater Minnesota-St. Paul area are afraid these attacks will never stop. However, just before the turn of the millennium, Gaffrey overplays his hand, and law enforcement is able to stop him once and for all. It is November 24th, 1999. Minnesotans from every state are traveling home for Thanksgiving, and Interstate 35 is jam-packed with holiday drivers. Nancy Barnburn, age 46, is attempting to deliver her famous mashed potatoes and rice to her nieces and nephews, when she spots quite possibly the strangest sight of her life. In the middle of the interstate, there is a portly man with a walrus mustache riding on the back of a young man on hands and knees. The young man, completely nude and painted a dark azure from head to toe, is clearly struggling under the weight of his rider. However, the reins that he carries in his mouth prevent him from stopping, as the portly man does not hesitate to whip them when his vehicle is moving too slowly. A number of drivers begin to bottleneck, clearly concerned for both the portly man's mental well-being and the physical safety of the human car. However, they are not prepared for what happens next. The larger man, visibly irritated by the attention being paid to him, hands a Glock 43 to the young man on whose back he is riding, while at the same time giving him a sharp kick in the side with spurred boots. The blue adolescent, afraid of what might happen if he doesn't comply, raises a trembling arm at the closest car and fires three bullets. They go wide, and only one even comes in contact with the car, slightly scratching the windshield. In a shocking display of human cooperation, drivers begin to create an impromptu barrier around the scene, preventing cars from traveling down the interstate until police arrive. One brave soul gets out of his car and manages to slap the gun from the homo vehiculum's hand, while two others detain the rotund man tied to his back. Within three hours, the police arrive and detain the larger man, who is identified as George Gaffrey and immediately placed under arrest for over 50 counts of manslaughter, assault, criminal mischief, and aggressive driving. The young car slash man is brought to the nearest hospital to have the license plate welded to his butt, surgically removed. Gaffrey is quickly placed on trial, and by 2001, he has been sentenced to 30 years in prison with no possibility of parole. He has remained in Oak Park Heights maximum security prison ever since, often in solitary confinement. On three occasions, he has attempted to have car keys matching the lock of an 87 Accord smuggled into the prison, but each time, police have managed to confiscate them before any damage could be done. After five months of communication with prison officials and Gaffrey himself, the team at those good old-fashioned values has finally been permitted to sit down with George for an interview. What follows is the unedited conversation between myself and Gaffrey. I am here with the Minneapolis maniac, George Gaffrey himself. 
uh, currently being interviewed from Maximum Security Prison Oak Park Heights in the state of Minnesota, currently in solitary confinement. Uh, George, how are you holding up? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you've been in prison for 25 of your 30-year sentence without parole. How has that experience of prison been for you? Has it been difficult? Has it been rehabilitative in any way? What takeaways have you had from your, your time in lockup? Well, on day one, I ran into the biggest guy in there as fast as I could. Okay, I see. That got me in trouble. With the car? or No, with my body. They wouldn't let me bring a car in. And that was the problem. I never learned to fight because my thing was always hitting people with cars. Cars, yeah. Yeah, mm. so I just, I only knew the, like the Naruto run move. I'm not sure what Naruto is. Uh, one of the one of the pastors that comes in uh, mentions Naruto to me in here. But since I was, uh, I've been in prison for 25 years, I don't know what it is. Yeah, is he a younger guy, this pastor? Yeah, or? he's 18. Oh, I see. I see. I did not realize they let 18-year-olds become uh, clergy members. Yeah, the day you graduate high school, you can become an ordained priest. It's awesome. Oh, that's that's very interesting. Um, uh, so, the the television show The Young Pope, is that what was going on there? I never watched it. Yeah, that was the oh, 18 you're in prison. Pope. You don't you don't know shit. Yeah, I've never heard about this stuff. Uh, I did have a cell phone for a while. It, it was in I think 2014, 2015. So most of my memories from uh, pop culture are of the young pope. It was very yeah, confusing yeah, for I... me that Jude Law is 64 years old, but he's the young pope. I guess he's younger than the old pope. Yeah, you think that most popes are, are generally around Jude Law's age. He's, he's kind of an older guy. Um, so with that phone, were you able to access TikTok at all? Uh, they took it away from me right before that. I, I got really into musical.ly. I, see. I did a lot oh, of lip syncing um, to Falling in Reverse and stuff like that, but... Yeah, well, that was the one where you could, like, upload a picture of something, and then it would, like, make it look like it was singing a song? No, that's, uh, that's Wombo. Oh, uh, yeah, you're the, right, uh, Wombo. the teenage pastor told me about Wombo.ai. I see, Where it can turn you into the Numa Numa song. Uh, Numa Numa yeah. is another thing that I learned about via... Uh, so <laughs> I've been in solitary yeah. confinement for 25 years. Yeah, for a solid chunk of those 25 years, the warden uh, told me in our... Uh, pre-interview. I've mostly been reading the Bible. Oh, I see. I see. What's um, what's your favorite book of that? Uh, probably Judges. Because I've seen a lot of Judges in my life, and I can relate yeah. to that. Yeah. Uh, there's there's an irony there that I, I suppose is pretty. Like I don't really want to read uh, Kings because I've never met a king in my life. Matthew is okay because I I met a guy named Matthew, in Gen Pop. He was the guy I r ran into as fast as I could. What about um? Did you ever get a letter from a Corinthian? Oh, many. Two, actually. Oh, that well, that's... I mean, it's not that many, but it's it's crazy it happened twice, right? Yeah, they wrapped a little cell phone in there. That's how I got the cell phone. Oh, I see, I see. Um, so, speaking of smuggling things into the prison, um, the correctional officers told me before I sat down with this interview that you have a penchant for trying to sneak car keys into the prison and to make sure that you do not get your hands on mine because they're not sure what you could do with those. So what, what, is, what is the deal with the car keys? If there's no car in here, I guess what is the allure? You wouldn't believe how easy the guys in here are to distract. Oh, by jingling them. Yeah, the they don't even have TV. So that's like crazy to them. It's like showing jingling keys to a caveman. Yeah, and they would probably be asking like Ooga Booga what what is what is that? They would try to grab it and you would pull are. it away. Yeah. They would probably think it's like some kind of shiny rock. They would think it was God. They would think it was God. They they were so fucking stupid back then. Oh, pardon my French. I forgot that we're in a professional interview. Uh, you 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 have a very disarming presence, which I think is um very unusual for for a criminal of your notoriety. I wish I could have disarmed those police officers. That would have been nice, yeah. Yeah, uh, were, were they, when you were arrested, from what I've read from reports, it seemed to have gone easily. Did you kind of wish that they would have shot you once or twice? I was trying to get Just them to, to shoot like, me. know what that feels like, yeah. Like in the foot, preferably. Yeah, of course, not in like the jugular. And ideally, anything. if you get shot and you go to prison, people feel bad for you. Right. Would, would you have asked uh, the other prisoners to like sign your cast or... Definitely. Maybe just like, you know, draw like hags on, you know, like, have a great summer. Yeah, it would have been awesome. 
I imagine my white cellmate, he would have written Big Black Bubba on the side and huge... Oh, that would have been very funny. Huge text like John Hancock and, and people would have thought it was him, and but it was really that guy. And I, it would have been like the end of high school, I think. With, um, instead, of a, instead of a yearbook, it's a cast uh, given to you by police officers finding their weapons and do multiple times. I think if I could start my life over from square one, when I got to yeah. prison, I would have tried harder to make friends with people. So, this is an interesting form. I, I agree. That, that seems like a smart idea. Um, if you were to start your life over again, uh, you wouldn't make any changes that would prevent you from going to prison? Well, I'm already here. Right, but like if you started your life over again, like for, you know, presumably like from like a little baby uh, before, you, before you committed crimes. I would, have to get to new, uh, I would have to get to know a new place, though. Well, I mean, you've, you've lived in Minnesota for presumably a good portion of your life. Would you not just be able to continue your life in Minnesota? I guess I could live right outside the prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could even become a correctional officer. Uh, that is generally in towns that uh, have a maximum security prison that is generally one of the biggest employers in, in those communities. That is the dream, to be able to jingle keys professionally. Yeah, Jailers yeah. love their keys. They've got the biggest rings of keys in the world. So um, this is actually a question because I, I actually do not interview many uh, convicts. Do you ever have a situation where you are in prison and perhaps there was a guard nearby your cell, uh, not within reach obviously, but nearby, and he's sleeping and either you have like a coat hanger or maybe there's like a very hungry dog in the hallway that you're trying to bribe with like a piece of meat to go grab the keys for you or maybe like a bird uh, who, who could do similar. Uh, and the guard is like sleeping, you know, he's on the chair, he's, he's had his back, like if you put a feather over his mouth, he would, it would be going up and down with the honk shoes, me, 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 me. Is that ever a situation that you found yourself in, in your time in prison? I've tried just about everything. I've tried chaining together paper clips, asking the guards for paper clips over and over again, and saying I need two, one for me and one for my cellmate for my paper, and then making a big chain out of them, and then whipping it, and then trying to like a grappling hook, trying to grab the keys. I've tried tattooing my face on my cellmate's stomach, so when they check if we're in there, they think it's me. That was why they, I can't have a cellmate anymore. Because oh, I, I, I tattoo I my face on their stomach when they're asleep. Yeah, and were they presumably yeah, not into it? Well, they woke up partway through, so it was like the, uh, it was my head and then one of my eyes, like one ear. And then the guard will think that you don't have an eye and that just, that dog won't hunt, yeah. I was also doing it with ballpoint pen ink and oh, uh, the so edge of a coat hanger. Oh, oh, that's different. Did you at least sterilize it first? What does that mean? Moving on. I, I suppose what will be probably the most uh, useful for our listeners is to kind of dive into the psychology behind some of your uh, criminal indiscretions. So that, that first accident that we covered uh, with little Henry old crappy shoes Isaacs, the child that you hit uh, in his neighborhood in Minneapolis, was that, was that your first offense or is it simply the, the first of a pattern of behavior that the law enforcement was able to connect to you? Well, that was my first human victim, I would say. Oh, I see. But there were animals. Yeah, I started out small. I started out running over an ant and then a grasshopper. And then a vole. Okay. And then eventually I got up to a rabbit and then a cat and then a dog. Increasing in size, I see. Uh, and then a mountain lion. Oh, where did you find one of those on the on a road? On the mountain. Up, oh, up I on see the a mountain. mountain road. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then a cow. And uh, that one I had to get a new car after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also an 87 dark blue Honda Accord? Yes. They were very common in 1987. That was when they started making them, yeah. So you, you went through animals of various sizes before you moved on to a human victim. Yeah, eventually you get diminishing returns with the animals because a big enough animal will just shred the car up. And it's not really fun. It's more like masochistic than sadistic. You never tried to like run into, say, a buffalo or an elephant or, or something of equivalent size? No, my uncle died trying to run into people? a buffalo. Ah, I see. Well, I am sorry for your loss. Yeah, he was listening to the song Buffalo Soldier at the time. That'll do it. And he misunderstood yeah. what the song was about. You know what? I, I never really understood what that song was about, too. Because, like, a buffalo, like, it can't hold a gun. Like, it has hooves. Yeah, I so, think like, it's about the, the city or something. Oh, I see. That's a... Hey, it's a great... I am from upstate New York originally. It's a great city. I think it might be, like, a Bill's Rally song. Yeah. 
I honestly would not surprise me if the Bills Mafia did use that song, uh, given some of the overlap between its themes being from Buffalo and being a soldier and what they want to instill in their team. How's O.J. Simpson doing, by the way? Uh, pretty bad, it seems like, because he keeps making, like, selfie videos. And that's, that's never really, like, a sign of good mental health. Well, at least he gets to have a phone. Did, oh, they, did they eventually take away your phone? Yeah, right before TikTok came out. Ah, uh, that's a shame. I was so, listening to stuff really Vine. loud out of the speaker. It was 2014, so I was playing All About That Bass on repeat. Oh, I see. It's and a I was, uh, you know, I was, when, when you're in prison, there aren't a lot of women around. And, right. you know, when, when you hear a woman talking about making, making that boom boom shake or something like that, you know, the threshold is a lot lower. I see. That, I think, is an interesting segue into another question that I would like to discuss with you, which is that, or it's concerning the motivation behind some of your crimes. Uh, was it a pardon my intrusion? Was there a sexual component to it? Was it simply uh, to fulfill some kind of belief system? Or was it simply for entertainment? What, what would you say was driving you to commit these myriad vehicular crimes? I really wanted to be in a music video. Oh, I see. And you thought that that would get you into a music video. Yeah, I saw I Can't Drive 55 by Sammy Hagar. It gave me the wrong idea. The, like, Tipper Gore had, you know, maybe she had a few good points about media and its influence on yeah. men in their late 20s. And uh, the way it can, you know, people like Sammy Hagar, these, these enfant terribles that, uh, that they put in our face all day. That has real consequences for real people. It is interesting, though, because I, I do think the majority of your crimes happened before the advent of Grand Theft Auto, which I think, if, if we are talking about a cultivation theory argument, would be the most salient point to link to that. Pretty good series, I've heard. I've only played the fourth one. That was the only one they let us have in prison. Fourth one was great. Fifth one, people give it shit. It's, listen, that map's huge. It's fun, to play. it's fun to just drive around in. I haven't had a chance to watch that one. They do let us watch GTA RP Twitch streamers on the TV in here. So I do watch that, but I haven't actually played it. So I don't know how the cars handle. Have you seen what some of that mod community is doing with, like, superheroes? I, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating to me that, like, they're, you know, putting Spider-Man into a Grand Theft Auto game or even Superman or Batman. To me, the real superheroes are people who hit people with cars. Right. So, so you still don't um, feel remorse for what you've done. You still believe you were in the right? Yeah. I mean, like, how many people died? Like, two? Um, I think by the end, the count uh, was sitting at 64. Oh, the crowd. The yeah, cr well, actually, oh, I mean, including including uh, collateral damage, I think it actually stands somewhere more closer to 143. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'd like to get it to 150, but I don't know if I could get out of here, and I don't know if they would give me my license back. Even though I wasn't drunk, I, was not, no, I, was, I, I wasn't on anything. Well, I, I do think that while DUIs are very common, a majority of the crimes that you committed would, would disqualify you from owning an automobile again, despite your, your state of inebriation when you were doing it. Oh. I, I think after probably the, I would argue, like maybe sixth or seventh uh, intentional vehicle murder, they, they generally do not like you operating motor vehicles. I kept asking them to give me the DMV handbook in the library so I could try oh, to get they, my license back. Yeah, like studying. Some guy studied to get out. I was studying to get my license back because I was counting on escaping with the tattoo idea. You have, you have a tattoo like in the television show Prison Break? It was when I tattooed my own face on the guy's stomach. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. and I thought they would think it was me and I was... Maybe I got sucked into him like Voldemort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the movies that we have here. Oh, you guys have Harry Potter over there. Yeah, only the first one. Well, that, that one is, I will say, of that series, it's one of the better ones. So that and three are, I think, stand up the best. It is pretty good. Just a, a few more questions before you leave, uh, or before we, we conclude this interview. And again, I want... I, I don't get to leave. That's a great point. I apologize oh, for... Oh, I wish. I wish I could leave. If I could get out of here, oh my God, would I hit so many kids. Well, I, th I do think that that is the big reason why they don't want you to leave. Oh, can you um, take that off the record? Of... Sure, yeah. Uh, generally, if you want something off the record, you, you say it before 
but I, I can try to keep that out of our official interview. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kept asking the judge to take stuff off my record, too, and he wouldn't take it off my record, like the, the vehicular manslaughter and stuff. Like, I usually haggling works if you say, like, can I just get, like, 28 charges instead of 29? Because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, what's the difference? Yeah. Well, I will say that you had over 50 charges uh, by the time you were sentenced. And I'm not sure how much that sticks into your mind, but I think the final count was uh, 61 total charges. Well, as long as it's not over 65. <laughs> That's a little joke I like to oh, make about that. How, how it's roll. Yeah. It was going well over 90 when I hit those people. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was pretty bad. I, I, yeah. It was um, the kind of damage you can only do when you're nearing 100 miles an hour for, for many of those. I handled the car very well, though. You, hey, surprisingly good at driving. Just, you know, it was then the, the intention to, to hit children that I think, uh, I think kind of did you in. If there was a war happening, I could have been a hero. Yeah, If probably. they put me on the if battlefield. If there was, like, a car-based war, like, maybe, like, a, a war in, like, the Cars universe uh, from Pixar. Did you guys have that? Oh, yeah. Cars. cars? From, I was really Pixar? into Cars. Yeah. It turned me into a furry for Cars, where I actually want to be the car now. Well, um, thank you so much for giving us your time, Mr. Gaffrey. I will leave just so soon as I find my keys. I seem to have misplaced those. I heard you left them outside. Oh, that's probably a great point. Uh, I will go check outside. Uh, thank you so much for your time, and I hope you have an enjoyable rest of your sentence. I found the key.